Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. So good to see you figuratively today. <laughs> I guess you're seeing us more than we're seeing you. Uh, but we're glad you're joining us for another hour of your questions on the Bible. That's right, Reason for Hope is an hour-long broadcast which is dedicated and guided by your questions on the Word of God, the Bible. So if you have questions on your heart, maybe a verse or passage of Scripture you'd like expounded upon a bit more, something that has confused you, um, perhaps something you're going through in your own life, in your own world, and you'd like a biblical perspective, you'd like to honor the Lord but not quite sure how to do that, maybe even Christianity as a whole or other worldviews and religions, any honest question you have, as long as you know the Bible is the source of the answers for us on A Reason for Hope, that's what we're all about here, and so welcome to our regulars, and if you're stumbling upon for the first time, you are very welcome sending your questions in on multiple flat platforms, I'll be going over those in just a moment and we will get to as many of those on the show today as we can. My name's Dave Robson, I'm your host today, and as I mentioned, I'll be on those chat platforms with you, receiving your questions. With us today, we have Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. How it you doing? It is I, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing good? Yeah, doing great. It's good to see yeah. you. Thanks for making the time to be here today. And oh, for it's your, always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. It's too much fun. For your yeah. faithfulness to the ministry here, and with us as well, your, uh, your uh, number, well, my right-hand man, protege, all-around good guy, yes. John Richards. And child, yep. <laughs> Sean Richards. How are you doing today? Good. I'm getting used to all the new colors and positions of things. I know. I know. It's, it's a bit for ADHD, looking around and tweaking some things. I moved the countdown up to the corner in case you're trying to find it. Uh, but, and, uh, the, and, you know, the beautiful thing is when you're colorblind like me, you can't tell the difference. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what was what everybody talking about? What is this color you what speak color of? You speak That's of? why I get away with looking so deathly pale. That's right, I know. Yeah, maybe the lights will need a little bit of tweaking. But anyway, work in progress over here, as we all are. <laughs> yes, <laughs> once to again, varying degrees, yes. That's, that's right, that's absolutely right. Well, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope, it's a, an hour-long broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Those weekdays there, we're, we broadcast here in Tucson, Arizona, uh, Mountain Standard Time, and you can join us all around the world, of course, whatever time that is uh, for you. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, so you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You're welcome to check our church out there, especially if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, you're welcome to come and check us out if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship. But uh, for the purposes of this evening, if you go to that Watch Live tab right there, anytime we're live, we go live to that page if you click on that link take it to our live page or you can use the direct link ccftucson.online.church that will take you right there when we're live you'll see the video you can sign in with a username of your choice and then there's a chat function that you can communicate with us and send your questions in that way when we're offline you'll see a countdown to the next show you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well um, something that may interest you so right there, ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook as well, live there as we speak, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, search for that, or facebook.com slash ccftucson is our page. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that as we um, spread the ministry. And that's another way that you can send in um, your question right there in the chat function. I will be monitoring those as well. So that's Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We have an app as well for your mobile device. Look for that red uh, background with the Calvary Chapel Dove logo when you search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can download us on your mobile device and watch us there as well. We have a channel on Roku and on Apple TV. So if you have those devices or a TV um, with that capability, add us as a, a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. 
and you can watch us live there as well. We're on YouTube, of course, live as we speak, and it also uh, kindly has archives there as well. So if you go to A Reason for Hope on YouTube, follow that live tab whenever we've been live, it will archive there. You can catch up on shows that you missed or rewatch them to your heart's content. Uh, but we're also live there right now as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell and all those things which help us to spread the ministry and also keep you informed as well. So A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Uh, our pastor Scott here, I introduced to you, is on Twitter. Uh, you can find him Scott R4H, that's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts all kinds of things, tomfoolery, as we say. Lots um, of tomfoolery. Lots of tomfoolery. Yeah. Also, highlights from the show, highlighted questions, and uh, commentary on world events and news events. There's so much going on around the world. It's really great to get like a biblical perspective on all of that, too. So you can follow along with Scott if you're on Twitter, Scott R4H. On Rumble, we post videos there, too, um, our archives and some other videos there. So if you're on Rumble, a reason for hope, Bible Q&A. We love to let you know all these different platforms because sometimes people like to boycott one or the other or something might go down, a technical thing, so you know where to find us in different places. But on Rumble, a reason for hope, Bible Q&A. We're not live there, but we have uh, archive videos for your viewing pleasure there. And we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out uh, with letters, not numbers, at gmail.com. You can send us your question there as well anytime you would like. And if you're listening to us on Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates, you may want to use that email address because you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se. Um, but you're welcome to use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll endeavor to get to that question on our next show. So there it is. It's growing all the time. We're very uh, grateful for this technology uh, to get the word out to you. And again, send your questions in, whatever platform you're on. Use the chat function, send your questions in. And I'll be monitoring those as we go along. And we hope to get to as many of your questions as we possibly can today. So let's do it. Let's do it. With all that being said, we'd love to pause and pray. Ask the Lord to guide and, and bless and all that good stuff. So who'd like it today, boys? Who's going to get it? Me. <laughs> oh, me. me, me. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to speak uh, from our heart to your heart. And Lord, mm. you not only hear the things that we say with our lips, but Lord, you see uh, the message that uh, our lives are sending to the world around us. And, and Lord, I thank you so much that you're constantly speaking to us uh, through your word and through understanding your word. Uh, we're going to be able to see everything else that's going on. So Lord, we pray that the questions that we answer would deepen uh, confidence in your word, uh, allow it to be more practically applied to the lives of those who join us. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, even if there are those who more or less a skeptic bent uh, at your word. They would discover that uh, you have not left your word without amazing support uh, and confidence so that we can trust you with reason, which is what real faith is all about. So allow us to speak with clarity, uh, with uh, charity as well, and may we bring glory to your name by the end time this program is over. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen to that, indeed. Well, we have, have some questions that have come in, unless you have anything to share with us. Sometimes, Pastor Scott, you give us a bit of an update or anything. Is there anything? Well, there, there's a bunch of stuff like percolating on out there, but let's just jump right on into the questions. All right. Sounds good to me. Well, we have, look at this, guys. Look, this happened in recent months or years. I have to go to the reading glasses. Isn't that sad? Cheaters. Is it? Yeah. yeah it's all they used part, to call them. Part of life. 
yeah. not a life. But anyway, now I can read this thing. But we had a, a question now, coming. Now you not only sound sophisticated, <laughs> but with those glasses, man. Yeah. You that, you are you're that just, just takes sophisticated. You're professorial, yeah. dude. There's no lenses in them. It's just all for <laughs> yeah. all for looks. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> But anyway, a, a question came in from Katie to our email address, uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Katie asks, okay, so here's a conundrum. You guys ready for a conundrum? Are we in, sure it's not an enigma? <laughs> well, it could be both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll find out. I'll read well, it. And you can you handle it if it's an enigma, and I'll handle it if it's a conundrum. Okay, that go seems ahead. fair. Yeah. I can't spell either. And I'll handle the paper. Yeah. yeah. So in the events described around Christ's death, Matthew 27 says that when Christ gave up, his spirit, some of the tombs broke open and the dead arose and went into Jerusalem and were seen by many. So does this mean, like the situation with Tabitha in Acts, that these people were in God's presence in heaven and then were brought back to earth? That doesn't seem like a very nice thing to do to these people <laughs> who were reveling in God's presence and then suddenly be living again in a sinful earth. But when we die, are we instantly in God's presence? I don't mean that we exist in limbo, but is there an unconscious passage of time between our death and being with God? If that's the case, where does the idea of Luke 16 and Abraham's bosom come in? So well, well okay. let, me, let me take that, that first deal. Would that be a bummer to people who were there in paradise to suddenly be yanked back to earth? I'd say so. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, we, a lot of jokes get made along that line, but I would say somebody that has experienced that kind of uh, perfection and fullness uh, would probably, and I, I don't think it would have caught him unaware. Uh, well, gee, you know, here I was in heaven one moment and nobody told me I was going back. I'm sure, and again, this is speculation, but I think it's founded on the character and nature of God, uh, that those people would have been more than happy to do so, knowing that uh, by going back, they were giving testimony to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and mm. the life, uh, that he has come to give us eternal life. Mm. And even though we cannot see eternal life until we get there, certainly uh, resurrected individuals who have seen it would not only be able to bear witness to that, but also be a living demonstration of the fact that the last enemy death was defeated at the cross. Yeah, uh, I, I, th I think it's a good pretty good reason to come back yeah you know or de delayed gratification yeah is something i think that a perfected saint would understand yeah makes sense so but uh you know would it be kind of a bummer once you tasted heaven to come back sure <laughs> but uh, I, I think they understood yeah that's a good yeah point. but but that does come up sometimes I yeah just wanted to offer yeah that i never thought of it like that that's great that's a great point yeah that's what paul's thought was when of course he was staring down the barrel of martyrdom regularly and according to second corinthians he was even given the opportunity to see the third heaven and couldn't put it into words but what was interesting about that was his return wasn't depressing for him in the book of philippians chapter one he said in verse 23 i'm hard pressed between the two having a desire so there's a positive not a negative a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So notice again, positive, positive, positive. The status of being with Christ is best. Nevertheless, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Being confident of this, I shall remain and continue with you in all your progress and love and the faith. So if we're going to keep the perspective that we have about the afterlife in proper check, I think what's important is to keep the afterlife in its focus, not our fallen natures, our right. tendency to say, well, what do I get out of this all a field of dreams, right? Because yeah. we end up missing the whole point. Our fellowship with Jesus there is only different 
here in the fact that this physical frame is built for this world, not that one. If we don't have a glorified nature, then it's naturally a bummer that we're such a problem, that we create such obstacles between us and continued fellowship with Jesus. But just like, say, someone who's been through the spiritual bend a few times, has a few uh, miracle notches under their belt, and has seen God do regular things in their lives, they have the same perspective that, say, these uh, de-glorified saints, if you want to use the term, would have. Yeah. is the sort of perspective of saying, hey, I know where I'm going, but this is where God has me. Yeah, my fallen nature sometimes gripes and groans, but I want to keep the focus on him because that's what this is all about. And someone with that perspective of the afterlife would be just as much prone to struggle and saying, did I really have that hallucination? Did I, you know, all these other sort of things? No, I I know where I am. I know where I'm going. It's the same kind of confidence and informed confidence that anyone with a relationship with God would have. But note the perspective of people who did come back. Paul put it in writing. Obviously, Peter may have had his own experiences, but uh, noting his all-too-eager attitude to uh, be with the Lord when he was going to be executed by Herod. He was asleep when the guards were holding him. You have to be a pretty relaxed state in that, awaiting your execution. It's kind of a funny image if you think about it. But then there's also the concern that people have, and this is the question, of other resurrection accounts. They mentioned Lazarus. They could also mention, say, for instance, that little girl Jairus' uh, daughter, yeah. yeah there was yeah. the uh, widow's son. There was, of course, yeah, the widow at Nain, yeah. Uh, people in the Old Covenant, of course, who were awaiting that sort of resurrection and then had to kind of go into a spiral loop. And this is where we need to basically keep all the facts straightforward and on the table. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, whether in his presence or abiding in his spirit in this world, both keep in mind the same perspective. This is where I am. How can I honor Jesus with that? Right. And if we say, well, if I was in that perspective, that might be the reason why you haven't been. But if, on the other hand, we go off to the accounts of people who were put through that, this was their conclusion. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not complaining because this is more of an opportunity. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, the other part of that question that uh, does come up and I think was mentioned uh, I think in that blizzard of questions there uh, is this, you know, when we die is, are we immediately there in the presence of the Lord? Did these people go into some kind of way station, uh, something like that, a purgatory, if you will, uh, Bible never teaches that, uh, you know, we do see references to those who've fallen asleep in passages like first Thessalonians chapter four, but what it's referring to is our physical body. You ever gone to an open casket funeral? Uh, inevitably, someone will say words to the effect of, oh, look, it, it looks like they're sleeping. Well, I yeah. think they're onto something because the physical body uh, that we have here does go to sleep. But we are told very clearly in passages like First or Second Corinthians chapter 5, so we are always confident, uh, and this is verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now notice it doesn't say to be absent from the body, have some indeterminate amount of time, then we'll wake up. I think of the thief on the cross. Uh, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this day you will be in, with yeah. me in paradise. See, if the other point of view was true, he would have said, well, don't worry, you're gonna be going into a nice, deep, relaxing soul sleep, but I'll wake you up at the right time. No, he said, today you'll be with me right. in paradise. 
the, uh, the reference to the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. I think it's fascinating that both the rich man and Lazarus both were immediately following death, taken to their place of either reward or punishment, mm. and both were immediately aware of their surroundings. They weren't in some groggy intermediate state. Right. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the rich man said something to the effect of, uh, I'm blaming this torment. And they'd say, well, you know, but I'm sure they're gonna come up with a doctrine uh, a couple centuries down the line, they'll say, uh, well, we'll get out of that torment uh, after we've burned off our venial sins, whatever that is. Try to look that up in your concordance. Uh, no, he realized that this was his destination. That's why he was so adamant, uh, begging Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers, lest they come to this place uh, of torment. It wasn't an intermediate state. It was going to be the final destination, if you will. So, uh, you know, I guess where a point of clarification is needed is that uh, the setup that we see in Luke chapter 16, uh, I think the evidence suggests biblically that that was the way things were set up prior to the time that Jesus, in the fullness of time, mm. would pay the price for our sins. Sins were covered over by sacrifice and by faith looking forward to what Messiah would do, but only when Jesus died and said it is finished were sins fully atoned for, taken out of the way. And so prior to that time, there was, if you will, a way station, a dual compartment situation the Bible called the grave or Sheol. Uh, there was a place called paradise. It's also referred to as Abraham's bosom, the idea of, of uh, a Middle Eastern dinner party, if you will, where you're just kind of leaning right there Abraham's side, pretty, pretty uh, a table kind yeah. of stuff yeah. going on there, <laughs> and good. and then there was a place of torment. There was a great gulf fixed so that those on one side could not go to the other, and so on. Mm. But uh, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he we are told in Ephesians chapter four that he led captivity captive. Now this is a picture of uh, when a conquering Roman general would come back after a great victory against another enemy. Uh, what would uh, return would be not only uh, the victorious troops, but also the individuals who were like POWs. Uh, they would walk uh, behind in this victory parade, uh, rejoicing that they had been set free from their captivity. Well, that's that picture of leading captivity captive. Mm -hmm. In other words, Jesus emptied that compartment of Sheol that we would call paradise or Abraham's bosom. Uh, not that it was a bad place to be, but uh, from now on, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present for, with the Lord. We mm -hmm. are instantaneously in the presence of God, mm -hmm. as Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said he was caught up into third heaven. That is the place where God directly manifests his presence spiritually. That's why uh, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, speaks of, uh, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the gathering of myriads of angels into the spirits of just men already made perfect. Uh, in other words, the heavenly Jerusalem that is being described there in Hebrews chapter 12 already has uh, individuals that lived here that are perfected spiritually there before the presence of God. Mm. So uh, those are the best ways to keep that in mind. And, and it's not just kind of inside baseball and, and uh, playing uh, theological uh, minutiae here. Boy, you know, when someone passes away, that you love, you yeah. kind of want to know where they are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know when uh, someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger comes along and says, "Well, we just die." <laughs> you know, <laughs> on our tomfoolery Twitter feed, I I made the comment, "Arnold, I'll make you a deal. Uh, if uh, you won't offer takes on the afterlife, I won't offer takes on bodybuilding." <laughs> so I think I'm about as qualified 
bodybuilding wise as Arnold is on spiritual issues. <laughs> so, you know, the, the obvious question when someone makes a statement like that is uh, to play Columbo. Uh, we were talking about, we had the opportunity driving across the desert to listen to Greg Kukul's great book, Tactics, where he talks about being a Columbo when someone makes a declaratory statement like that. Like, mm -hmm. well, we just go into nothing. There's no, there's no live matter. Okay, how do you know that? See, there's something yeah, about there's something this that about bothers me. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so like the uh, TV detective, just asking someone like that, you know, okay, what do you mean when you say that? And then why do you think that's so? What reasons do you have to make mm -hmm. such a outrageous statement we just yeah. die and go to nothing right. well in the article and you can catch up with it at uh, scott arpor agent twitter.com if you want to take a look at it he immediately starts backtracking. i guess he was interviewed by danny devito of all people <laughs> it was a really interesting interview i yeah. guess but even danny devito wasn't letting him off the hook he kind of mm. pursued him about that well how do you know that and he goes, well, I don't know, you know, I'm just talking about the body, you know, and, the, you know, maybe the soul's different. But what I mean is uh, when you see people, even if you get to the other side, you're not going to recognize them. Well, again, Scripture really does give us some clarity about that. Will we recognize people uh, as individuals when we see them in heavenly glory? Well, I guess build on the negative, if you have an example of, spoiler alert, two people that these individuals who witnessed them post-resurrection in a glorified state with heavenly bodies, with the new status, that state of being with Christ and in that identity that they'll now know forever, were recognizable by people who never would have met them by six to 1400 years, right? Okay, who, who are we talking about? What What's the uh, situation? My reference is, of course, to the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus partially unveiled his glory and showed three disciples in particular, Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder, and of course the apostle Peter, a specific revelation of himself that they were to be quiet about until after his resurrection, because only then would this all make sense. This revelation of his glory was accompanied by two Old Testament individuals, and we have no reason to think this was an allegory or some, you know, allusion to a loose prophecy, but it didn't actually happen, or as uh, certain apostate teachers would say, was just kind of made up to give Jesus street cred. No, these are reported in all the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John, which is interestingly enough, a very significant parallel. The synoptics and John tend to go in different directions because they all had a different focus, a different audience. But John, Peter, and James all bore witness, not just to Jesus in this very weighty form, to use the term literally, but also shown Moses, who they had only read about at the origins of their nation's history, legal code, 1400 BC to around 30-ish AD, that's a very long period of time, and Peter, James, and John were not that old, yeah. so they would not have seen it. <laughs> Likewise, Elijah, who was essentially one of the more prominent prophets in Israeli history, uh, living around the time of King Ahab and Jezebel, it would be around the 600s BC. Still, again... Oh, earlier than that, around 700. Yeah, so... Almost we're, 800, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're noting a very lengthy period of time. Peter, James, and John were not that old. Yeah. But noting this very significant detail, Peter recognizes them. Now, you may say, oh, well, maybe they were just... Uh, 
uh, the products of good oral tradition. They had artwork of them that went back to the original. First of all, name tags. <laughs> yeah, maybe they had name tags. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be helpful too. First of all, Jewish culture did not uh, take kindly to images. The only visual representation we had of anything going back to the time of Moses was the bronze serpent, and Hezekiah destroyed that when people started worshiping it. So that's out. Secondly, the only reason, the only actual information we're given that Peter, James, and John were able to identify these men as Moses and Elijah was simply the fact that they were there. And yet they were able to know who they were talking to in this afterlife state. So with Peter, James, and John in a fallen sinful state, observing glorified people, they knew them personally. They at least I mean, I can barely remember people's names in my fallen state, yet they were able to recognize these people having never met them. So to make the assumption then that we won't know is a revelation from Prophet Arnold. It may be a flexing of his intellectual muscles, but as we can see, those haven't been worked out as much in spiritual matters as others. So make sure that when we're taking conclusions, we actually go off of people who can know what they're talking about. A man who proved himself through a resurrection from the dead as in charge of the afterlife was able to introduce two individuals who were also in this afterlife state. And because in their glorified bodies they could be not only recognized but known by people who never met them, as the saying goes, I don't expect to be a bigger fool here on this earth than I am in heaven. But if on the other hand, a bigger fool in heaven than I am on this earth. But if on the other hand, we're to take a step back and go from the information I actually have, and if I have reasons to trust these documents, what can I conclude? The idea that we won't recognize each other because we'll be entirely different people, or at least entirely different looking, is absurd. Uh, you know, I was yeah. uh, in, exposed and introduced to, say, for instance, uh, uh, my Grammy, I'm trying to get the set reference, my mother's mother, much later in life, not to say that she wasn't beautiful, but you know, compared to her spring days, she definitely didn't resemble the way a lot of her photos looked. I have absolute confidence based on this information that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be seeing, you know, all these crowds of people and going, which one's Grammy? I'm going to know who Marie Johnson is. Yeah. But if on the other hand, I'm going to say, how do you know that? not because I said so and Danny DeVito pressed me on it. I'm referencing people who saw people from the afterlife and were able to recognize them. Yeah. So from that conclusion, I'd say, I got more information than speculation. I have revelation, something that's been given to me from people who know and are there, not speculation from people who don't know and are just as good as anyone else's guess. Awesome. Very good. Think we got all of that? I think I think so. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Katie, for that question. It's a great question. I hope that that helps you. And clear really, some of really that up. relevant question. Absolutely. Thanks for sending it in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Katie. A uh, question from uh, Valeria. Uh, Valeria says, "I'm confused. Who should we obey as Christians? Which government? The liberal or the conservative? Some mandate the vaccine. Others mandate other strange things and conspiracy theories." I'm so confused, I don't know who to believe anymore. Thank you, and God bless. Jeremiah 17, 5. Woe to the man who puts his trust in man. Notice there isn't a clarification on political affiliation there. Yeah. If we're going to have confidence in someone, obviously 
common sense would dictate those who deserve it, or at least not the one that you have reason to know is proactively lying to you. Obviously, in this day and age of information, we have more access to the reasons we have to distrust people. That's just right. straightforward. Every single record of someone who's ever told a lie has been given a reason not to trust them. And if you want to look hard enough, you'll have opportunities from both sides of any political spectrum to have fewer reasons to trust somebody. However, if we're going to go off the default then, because I have a reason to not trust somebody, therefore they're not worthy of my trust in this area, you have to understand what's the mistake I'm making here. I'm looking at the person, not what the person's saying. That's what we can test. If someone from a conservative outlet tells a lie, it's still a lie. If someone from a liberal organization would ever deign to tell the truth, it'd be a first, but it would also still be the truth. That's a joke, by the way. So when we're talking about this issue, the best way to avoid this rigmarole of knowing who to trust isn't accurate because it's missing the whole point of information. It's not who to trust because who, a person, can tell the truth and can lie in any circumstance. The only exception would be Jesus of Nazareth. If on the other hand you were to or say... Or just be mistaken. Yeah, and yeah. That, that would be a difference from lying. But the idea is this. If on the other hand I'm going to take a step back and go, okay, not who said it, what was said. That's how I avoid this trap. Yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's a really interesting biblical standard that we got to keep in mind uh, in this. I think it's an awesome question, by the way, because yeah. we're just bombarded with so much information now. Yeah. And, you know, who knows... What, you know, we uh, talked a little bit on our Twitter feed about uh, Tucker Carlson uh, going online. Uh, mm -hmm. Boy, talk about uh, how sometimes getting fired can be the best thing that'll ever happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, his initial Twitter feed, you know, I, I looked at the, the ratings. He was the number one rated program on uh, cable television mm -hmm. when he was on Fox News. Mm -hmm. He would uh, pull in about 3 million viewers a night wow. or about 15 million in a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, on his first day on the internet, uh, he uh, was nearly at 90 million views. Wow. So, um, crazy, right? Yeah. So, you know, I sat down, gave it 10 minutes and watched uh, what the guy had to say. Well, you know, uh, you know, he made some uh, comments about what was going on in the Ukraine. Then he got into a deal about how it's uh, the story of the millennia is being suppressed by the news that... Uh, we have uh, wreckage of UFOs, and we retrofit those things in kind of an arms race with the Russians, and that mm -hmm. we've really uh, had contact with uh, robot Amazons from the planet Stinky Pinky. I don't, don't think he actually said that. But, <laughs> but, but you, know, I, you know, I look at this, and I'm like, okay, um, these are some pretty interesting truth claims here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, those who are on the conservative side of things, oh, yeah, Tucker, you know, he's, you know, he's really reliable. But okay, has there ever been any kind of conclusive evidence that these alien visitors have come? I thought it was really interesting right afterwards that a guy like Elon Musk, owner of SpaceX and puts rockets and satellites into space and pretty connected guy, says that he has never seen any evidence of uh, space aliens, mm. ever. Um, okay, so who are you gonna believe? Right. Uh, you know, that's why I think it's so important on these days, uh, you know, I'm just reminded of a famous quote from uh, Soren Kierkegaard. I'm starting to sound like Peter Martin here for a second. But uh, Kierkegaard said that uh, in these days, truth is so obscure 
and falsehood is so established mm. that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Mm. And I think truer words were never spoken uh, about the times that we live in yeah. right now. So how can we understand the truth? Well, Jesus put it this way in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If I have a biblical worldview, that is a way of looking at life that is founded on Scripture. And by the way, everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's a philosopher because everybody has a way of looking at life. They have yeah. certain values, certain biases that, that inform how they process the world around them. Yeah. Well, if I take my cues from the Bible, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not because I just see it, but by it I see everything else. Right. Uh, when I take a look at a biblical worldview, that we live in a world that was obviously created and designed uh, by a higher intelligence, you know, that it's very difficult to get around all of that. Uh, even the most atheistic scientists will have to do a lot of song and dance and yeah. try to say, you know, we were put here by uh, other intelligent beings, which is just begging the question. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, okay, we, we live in a designed world. And yet we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where bad things happen, where, where horrible things go on. And, and there's this sense deep inside of us that there's something wrong with all of that. If uh, all we are is a nice roll of some chemical dice and Darwinism is true, uh, why should I mourn when someone dies? It's survival of the fittest. That means the death of the less fit. The less fit right. are getting out of the way, you know? But nobody can live like that. Yeah. Deep down inside, we know we were created for greater things than that. Uh, we look at this world that's designed, we look at this world where something has gone wrong, and the Bible tells me that this God who made this world loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, so much so that he walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ, who left a historical record of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, so I can know what he said about life is true. Okay, so if I start grabbing some of this truth about Jesus, and I start looking at it kind of the lens that I look at life through, you know, just these mm -hmm. basic truths about Christianity. Well, then when someone comes along and makes some radical truth claim, you know, I, the, the uh, subject was brought up about, you know, the vaccine, and now we find out that masks really didn't work, and, and all the, this backtracking that was going on, and people were so adamant about it, and they're saying, your grandma killer if you're not wearing your mask. Um, well, you know, from a biblical uh, uh, point of view, you know, the way that I navigated through all of this is that, uh, that truth is walking in the light. It's not walking in the darkness. It is not something that leads us to fear. It's not something that leads us to division. It, it is something that, that should be explored, that I should, in a sense, um, do my homework and not just kind of be, you know, a, uh, a dutiful consumer of whatever uh, the, uh, the little black box I carry around with me is telling me to do. Right. You know, and so during that time, you know, I would talk to people. I'd talk to people I knew who were epidemiologists. I said, okay, what about the efficacy of, say, even the N95 mask? You'd say, well, you know, actually, uh, the size of the COVID virus is such that uh, trying to stop the COVID virus with even an N95 is like trying to stop a grain of sand with a volleyball net. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, great. Okay. You know, conversely, okay, so I was not a, I did not wear masks in my car. I did not, you know, but conversely, uh, a couple things came into view as far as how we manage things here in this church. When the state of Arizona asked us to shut down, you know, two weeks to stop the spread, as we were told, right. um, I had to take a look at another scripture 
in uh, Romans chapter 13 that says to obey the constituted authority, unless they're telling me something is directly contrary to the truth of God, uh, that I should try to accommodate and go along with that. And so, because it was two weeks and because we had this media ministry where we could continue to reach out with the word and so on, um, we, we went along with that because we felt that that was a scriptural thing to do. Now, I've got other brothers and sisters in Christ who say you should never shut down. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I get it, but that was the take we took for those biblical reasons, you see. So I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this is that like with the mask thing, you know, when I would come to church during the time where they were telling us to wear masks and so on, I'd wear a mask up front. Why? Because I didn't want to freak someone out who was wearing a mask. You know, I didn't want my freedom, my liberty, my research that I felt very confident in from the sources that I talked to. Boy, one of them was even a, a biochemist who worked for Moderna, for, for goodness sake, oh. that I talked to. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't just, you know, the Billy Bob School, the Bibles, you know, uh, do-it-yourself uh, home chemistry set yeah. guy or something like that. I mean, these are credible sources. But even with that, I had an obligation not just to look out for my own things, but for the things of others, as Philippians chapter 2 would say. And so for a time, I wore a mask. Uh, you know, when I would uh, visit somebody in the hospital, I'd wear a mask. Uh, you know, if they asked me to do that, to visit somebody, I'd wear a mask, yep. not because I believed that it was practically efficacious, but because uh, I'm going to not want to create some kind of a stumbling block, like with the hospital thing, if I'd said, you all know this, you all know this is just, you know, some kind of silly charade that, that people are doing to make themselves feel like they're, they're in control, all of this, I could have said that and made a big deal about it, but I guarantee you, those people, when they saw me walking in there, would have said, oh, that's one of those fanatical born-agains, and he's yeah. anti-science, and, and I would lose the opportunity to be able to share the love of Jesus with them. So all of those pieces of the puzzle, if you will, coming together to formulate a biblical worldview. Constantly thinking, okay, uh, you know, to, to, to condense it down as simply as possible, uh, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus say about this? How would Jesus respond to this set of circumstances? Uh, you know, how would Jesus want me to exercise or exercise at all my right to vote? Um, you know, those are questions that I think have real answers. For me, even the right to vote thing comes down to is a person pro-life or not. I just can't get around the idea that as a Christian, I cannot use my agency in voting to support anyone who's in favor of eviscerating children in the womb. I, I cannot imagine giving an account to God for supporting someone along that. I can't do it. So, you know, that's where the biblical worldview, if you will, comes in. And, and the more we become fluent in the, in, in the scripture, the more exciting it gets because, you know, you, you begin to discover that we're not just flopping and flailing and, oh, you know, here's a guy and, oh, you know, Fox News, it must be true. I'll tell you what, I heard the worst take I've ever heard in my life about the reliability of the Bible uh, by a host of a program on Fox News. Mm. And that was a real eye-opener for me mm. because I looked at this and I went, wait a minute, I'm trusting this guy to tell me things in the world that I don't know. Right. But now he's telling me about something I do know, and he's completely, totally wrongheaded. Mm. So the earliest Gospels were from 300 A.D. That mm. is just unbelievably wrong, yeah. you know, on, on, on any sense. So, you know, I just realized, you know, let the buyer beware. 
you know, it doesn't mean that we, you know, oh, I can't take these things in, but I take everything with a huge grain of salt, uh, whether it's a political, whether it's a moral, whether it's a pop culture uh, take. I want to make sure that my take on this comes right out of the Bible. And just what a beautiful thing it is uh, to discover that, that the message we have in this, the scripture is like a key to reality that fits exactly right. Mm-hmm. If I live my life in harmony with that, I'm going to be in a good place. Yeah. I, I just I encourage other people to have that joy as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's in having fun, you guys can testify when uh, the uh, mask mandates were really at their peak. I bought a Soviet-grade GP5 <laughs> gas did. mask, yeah. and that was meant to accomplish two things. First, it would make the self-conscious and unreasonable people even more self-conscious because they're like, oh, he's doing more than me. Should, should I invest in that? And then the people who are more level-headed about the whole thing were amused by it because they <laughs> knew I wouldn't be serious. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but whatever we decide to do in a set of circumstances like that, uh, we should walk you know, in love and in truth and care about others more than ourselves. Yep. Do everything so the end of the day, Jesus would look upon us and say, yeah, that's right on. That's what I would do. Uh, I think uh, that that'll keep us in the right place. Yeah, even if it good. got us kicked off from YouTube. Did it really? Oh yeah, we got still of our first community guidelines strike as a result of saying that the COVID nineteen vaccine is not oh, the then. mark of the beast. Yes, that's still right. There. I still stand by that statement. By yeah. the way, <laughs> that was not <laughs> the mark of the. Oh, we're canceled. We're <laughs> yeah, responsible yeah, yeah. for yeah. medical misinformation, yes, and I can show jump you the paperwork. Onto, yeah. Jump onto Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Valeria, thank you for that question. Hope that helps you out. It's a great question and a great pursuit for sure. A question from Francis. Uh, We had a discussion, a question yesterday about tongues, speaking in tongues and uh, the purpose of tongues and that they were uh, known languages and that kind of thing. But a question from Francis, bit of a follow-up. Is it true that there is a heavenly language that uh, angels and God speak? And can a person pray in tongues in a heavenly unknown language today? And what language will we speak in the new heaven and earth? The first two questions were answered by Peter Martin last week. Uh, the language of the new heaven and earth, we aren't told. The idea is usually falling back on 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the idea of... Well, I speak like, with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Well, in reference yeah. to yeah. the... Uh, existence of a tongue of angels but the idea is of verse 11 the idea of though i know in part i prophesy in part though when it's that which is uh hidden is revealed i will know just as i am known the gaps or at least the necessary gaps in our knowledge i have every confidence god will fill we don't have to take a university of heaven course in order to speak the language up there um just a quick summary of what peter martin already said about this angels aren't physical beings therefore they don't have tongues god isn't a physical being he is a spirit therefore they can communicate without the need for tongues or language in this sense they can literally just communicate idea to idea conscious to conscious when we see examples in job one and two for instance of them communicating verbally remember job is in the genre of poetry there's a reason why esther preceded job in going basically back all the way to the time of Abraham, we've entered into a new genre and category of scripture. So as they're presenting these things, it's meant to be an artistic representation of a deeper truth. Doesn't mean that there isn't interactions with angels and the heavenly hosts, but it does mean that when we're saying, oh, see angels speak here, therefore they have mouths, they have tongues, they have vocal cords opposite conclusion intended to be made there. But if on the other hand we'd say, okay, what do we know about the heavenly realm and communication? We will, we can, and we are going to. Jesus modeled the glorified state as having a physical body and was able to audibly communicate with his disciples in the language 
they spoke. So we can just take that at face value. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, on these side issues, we can have different takes, but it does appear uh, very uh, consistently in the book of Revelation that there's speaking going on, there's singing that is going on. Uh, there are individuals, you know, again, God is spirit for sure, but Jesus is the God man. And again, we see him described in scripture as having a glorified body, yeah. like the body that we will have, which I assume is going to include uh, glorified vocal cords. So there will be speaking that will be going on. It's not just going to be, you know, okay, uh, I'm going to, you know, send this thought over here to Dave and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do think there is speaking going on there, you know, again, uh, you know, God said, let there be light. I don't think that's just a uh, metaphor. I just don't, I, I do think that you can take the idea that God is spirit uh, a bit too far and uh, remove the, the idea that there's going to be this kind of communication that's going to go on there. It's going to be perfect communication for sure. Uh, it's going to be without any kind of uh, misunderstandings or things like this uh, that are going to accompany it. But I think it's also interesting how uh, when it talks about the New Jerusalem, that it talks about how the gates are going to be open and the nations will bring their glory into it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that distinguishes nations from one another is different kinds of languages that are being right. spoken there. So, uh, you know, it's very possible that the glories of these nations that are going to be a part of life in the New Jerusalem is going to be seamless communication, perfect communication. You're not going to have to sit down and... Uh, you know, take a, uh, a crash course in Spanish to be able to understand someone from another country. Uh, you're going to get it. You know, it was interesting when we were in Israel uh, the last time, uh, when we were at the Guy Beach Hotel in Tiberias, there was a group of people that were from Brazil, possibly, or, or Spain. I think they were from Spain. But these people, man, they would get up at oh dark 30 and have a worship time out there. I mean, like mm. four in the morning, mm. they'd start in on their worship. And I'm like, you know, my, I was like, oh, you know. But the enthusiasm that they had uh, for praising the Lord, I didn't understand a whole lot of what they were saying, but I sure understood the heart behind it. We did a baptism uh, at the Jordan River. Uh, it was just beautiful because there were all these different groups from all these different countries. And when they found out that, you know, I was a pastor and we were baptizing people, they wanted to be baptized as well. Mm. And, and so even though they didn't speak the language, right, we were able mm. to speak in a lot of times without, you know, specific verbs, yeah. you know, uh, specific grammar structures, but you knew why were, they were there and why they wanted to be baptized. You saw the light of Jesus in their eyes. And it was like more communication was going on there. I mean, there were mm. people from Korea, there were people from uh, different parts of Asia, there were people from South America, I mean, just all uh, Slavic places in Europe. But they all loved Jesus, you yeah. know? And they were all there because they just wanted to be baptized by him. And, mm. and I'll, I'll just never forget that because it was almost like a little piece of what heaven is all about. You know, they, they say that 90% uh, of communication is nonverbal, right? right? Yeah. Uh, you know, not the content isn't important, but that nonverbal, you know, just, oh, you love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and it's just so beautiful. It just transcends all the barriers. I, I, I think that's kind of what it's going to be like. Mm. Yeah, so, I like that. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Francis, thank you for that question. I hope that, that helps you out, too. Thank you for your question and being part of the show today. We have a question from uh, Kaleo from Honduras. So welcome from hey. Honduras. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, does God promise to restore everything that happens to us? If we go through cancer, will we beat it? If we lose a house? 
God has something better. Um, God is a God of restoration. Is it God's will to restore? Um, we heard this from Pentecostalism. Does Jeremiah 29, 11 apply to us today? So it's a, it sounds a lot of prosperity kind of. Yeah, three things there. Um, let me just be brief. Usually when people are talking about restoration, they won't go to Jeremiah 29, 11. It's uh, Joel 2, 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. He goes on to mention them. The great army which I have sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied the pray and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and people shall never be put to shame. Then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. Uh, this is good in cross-reference to Hosea chapter 6, I believe, verses 1 through 3, and noting that restoration to the Lord, that spirit of repentance, if you will. So when we're talking about all the funny business of restoration, where you get into the realm of prosperity is when the focus of restoration is in the physical things that you've lost. The idea that, oh, well, I gave up this for the Lord, therefore I expect to get that thing back later seven or a hundredfold, right? And that's right. usually how this is advertised. You donate money, you'll get money back. Right. I donate time, I get time back. I'll live a long life. Tenfold. I, yeah. yeah, all these sort of things. It's focusing on the material, not on the spiritual, which is the whole point. When people ask, you know, all the years that sin has taken off my life, but oh, the wondrous time that have made up for it now that I've been able to spend that time with God. It certainly wasn't in my younger years. It wasn't uh, without the consequence of the decisions I made before, but I wouldn't trade the time the Lord has given me now for anything because I brought with it something better. And it's mm. usually in reference not to money, not to time, not to houses, but to a new attitude, a new perspective, a new love for Jesus, a new compassion for people, more ministries and opportunities that came out of the years that those locusts may have eaten to keep the theme up, yep. which is the emphasis of the point of Joel, is repentance. So when we look at, for example, Joel's time, the time of Athaliah, when Israel was given over to Baal worship, even worse than her mother Jezebel, we see Israel wasting a lot of time pursuing crops uh, towards the rain and thunder god of the Canaanites, mm -hmm. which didn't even exist, and they lost those years because of what? God judged them with a famine and with a drought and with everything they thought they'd get from Baal. And Joel's promise to the nation of Israel is, hey, everything that you think you lose, you're going to get back and more if you come to God. Yeah. What this world is promising you is going to be a lot better. That's what it says, but what is it actually doing? You've lost everything. Now come back to God and he'll give you something that actually matters, not just uh, the things that he's promised in his covenant with you, the a la Deuteronomy style stuff, but fellowship with him, which is the whole point, the um, nature of repentance, and the idea of rending not your garment but your heart, that's the theme of the book. So restoration, uh, when it comes to prosperity, is usually in the object, but it's not a bad doctrine. God is a God of restoration. Just let him define his terms of what he wants to restore to you, which is himself. I think that's so right on. Uh, because uh, I guess we got to ask ourselves this question, what are we really wanting out of our lives? Yeah. Do I want goodies? Do I want blessing? Oh, I love goodies. <laughs> yeah. I love blessings. Goodies are good. Yeah. But the, the problem is goodies and blessings can become a stumbling block to you if you're not careful. Yeah. Uh, you can fall in love with your blessings and forget the blesser. Mm. The history of Israel is replete with examples of this sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, if we decide that uh, the glory of God is my greatest good, I, right. I, I want to I wanna live for your honor. I want to live to reflect you in this world. Uh, and, and if that means by being blessed by you so that people can see how you're a generous God, 
uh, mm-hmm. and that you take care of your people and you shepherd us really, really well, then great. I, I love to be a poster child of that sort of thing. Uh, but if it means, you know, hanging in there uh, when, you know, everybody's just saying, hey, man, curse God and die. Why are yeah. you still holding on to your faith? Uh, if you can glorify God in that way, then it's right. all to the good. If you have that perspective, everything going to go wrong. You, know, you talk about uh, the, the promises that don't, uh, aren't fully, uh, well, maybe elucidated the way they should be. Uh, Peter said to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, see, we've left all and followed you. And, Peter, and Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions hmm. and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Hmm. They always leave out that with persecution yeah, part. I don't like that part. You know, and, and so, you know, well, what is this about, uh, you know, when you've left and you get, you know, these relationships and all of this? Uh, well, you know, God has a funny way of balancing the books. You know, like, for instance, uh, I know that if uh, my house burned down tonight, uh, there would probably be 100 people in our flock who'd say, you can stay with me. Right. So, in, in essence, I got 100 houses yep. because I'm a part of the body of Christ, Right. Um, you know, it's just amazing how when we love each other in the body, uh, you know, we bless each other. And, and that's the relationship that's involved here. But it does not mean that, uh, boy, you know, if we're having a hard time and difficulties are coming our way, that somehow we're not doing it right or we don't have enough faith or faith in our faith or not claiming the right scripture or things like this. Uh, it's all about a relationship. It's all about, uh, okay, do I want to glorify God with my life? And if I make that my business, and wake up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, what's my goal today? Mm. Um, to be blessed, to prosper materially? Or is it at the end of the day, you know, just to be able, when my head hits the pillow, to have this sense that, yeah, Lord, you know, I think I know a little bit more about you today than I did yesterday. Yeah. I feel a little closer to you today yeah. than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody could take that kind of blessing away yeah, from you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's pretty simple, but... Absolutely, we, we very miss it good. sometimes. Calio, thank you so much for that question. We're up against time, but let's try and squeeze one more in. Uh, from Missy Poo, we have a question. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm sure that's your given name at birth. Um, do undercover agents and those who tell lies and use deception as a lifestyle go to hell when they die? The only way to go to hell is a conscious and personal rejection of Jesus as God and what he did to prove it. As far as the lifestyles that would make lying a necessary part of them, you mentioned undercover agents. Remember, those are government operatives who are using deception with the not only greater goal of saving lives, literally military disinformation saves lives because it's informing military targets of things that aren't there when they are, and it could give an opportunity for people to bring wars to a quicker end. The only reason the Normandy operation, for instance, went through was because of a double agent that was willing to sell out the Nazis in order for us to be able to Uh, basically uh, breach the Atlantic wall. But when we're talking about the area of concern people have and saying, well, it says in Revelation 21, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Yeah, apart from Jesus, any sin, which is also mentioned, sexually immoral, covetous, idolaters, and all liars will have their part because light has come into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And men know that their deeds are evil. The only reason why someone goes to hell isn't what they do, it's what they did or didn't do with Jesus. Make sure that's your understanding of salvation. You won't get caught up in these semantics. 
Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. One yeah. more bullet question then. Yeah. yeah. You guys yeah. Are good? yeah. From Crystallized Coyote. We've got some great names. <laughs> Far out. Tonight. Yeah. Um, hello there, Reason of Hope team. Is it wrong to draw Jesus when we don't know um, what he looks like or how he looks? The whole graven image thing. Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting how there are no physical descriptions of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. And say he was about you know six foot tall, or you know he had this kind of hair, or anything like this. And there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, the, the gospel writers understood who Jesus claimed to be—that he was God in human flesh. They were also coming from a thoroughgoing Jewish background about graven images. We talked a little bit about that that earlier. Uh, you're not supposed to make any kind of an image of God. Yeah. You know, and so there's no descriptions that we have there. Well, where there's no descriptions in the Scripture, we kind of want to helpfully jump in and you know, fill in the blanks, yeah. so to speak. Is it idolatrous then to draw a picture of Jesus or to have an actor portray Jesus depends on the screen? The, depends the attitude you bring to it. If your heart is, no, yeah, the Jim Caviezel portrayal, the passion of the Christ, that's who I'm thinking of when I'm praying to Jesus, repent. But if on the other hand you're saying, eh, this is close to the traditional idea and it spares the mental gymnastics of having to go through the oh well this is kind of how a uh, you know first century a judean citizen would look like kind of shorter you know pudgy yeah, arabic yeah. features and stuff that may be accurate maybe not the whole point of jesus appearance according to isaiah 52 is that he had no comeliness or appearance that we should desire him and that was intentional so if we're going to go off of the facts, here's the point. Is your focus on who Jesus was, not what Jesus was? Going back to the first question. And, and I would, you know, crystallize coyote. It sounds to me like you're an artist and you want to use your, your ability in art to honor and glorify God. Um, you know, again, I just remember when you guys were growing up, sometimes you'd come to me with a picture of me, you know, doing my preaching thing or something like that. And it was kind of stick figure and mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, some would say that doesn't look really like you, but it's the heart behind it that counts. Yeah. You know, yeah. So bring the right heart. Honor God with the talents he's given you. And not to go wrong. Amen. Very good. Thank you for your questions today. Great show. Join us again. Same time, same places, same faces tomorrow. We'll see you then. God bless <laughs> you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.